Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because if I hit it from the back, she gonna hit the sidewalk. But regardless of how you know me, you know I've loved comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week again at Thickness Central. Quick reminder, make sure you follow us on that Twitch channel. We're trying to get those uh, Twitch followers up. Tell your friends as we play games like Marvel's Avengers and then uh, Batman Arkham Knight, I think it is, that I haven't played. Uh, So the, the link to our Twitch channel is in our show notes. Lots of Twisted Cape podcasts like this one will be uh, dropping over the next few days. So make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not done so already. Uh, just like last episode, we're going to skip the city shoutouts for this episode real quick. Make sure you follow all of our social media at the Twisted Cape, which we'll go into at greater depth at the end of this episode. Uh, as always, we are going to start by rating the thickness of my stack. So let's check out Mike's a thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's thickometer. Thick like a friendly's milkshake. This week clocks in at an eight out of ten on Mike's thickometer. That's pretty goddamn thick. Uh, this book ha- this week has a slightly Marvel lean this week. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's still a, a good bit of books. Uh, this week we're going to start with the DC books, starting with Batman number 104. I gave this a 3 out of 5. Interestingly, this issue is told largely from the point of view of one Dick Grayson. We find out that Ghostmaker had even left an impression on the original Boy Wonder. We find out that the two adults in this situation were quite close friends until Bruce revealed his true motivations, which fractured them. Through Nightwing, we also discovered they have an agreement to stay out of each other's cities. The Bat family discovers that Batman and Harley and Balfam were all taken to Arkham by finding the plants in Harley's apartment, which have spelled the word Arkham on the wall. In Arkham, everyone is woken up, and the issue ends with Bal holding a leftover sword at a strapped down Harley Quinn's throat. Visually, this issue is quite interesting. There are three artists on the issue. I go back and forth on how I feel about that sometimes. In some regards, it's really badass, but in others, it's kind of distracting. Especially the flashback within a flashback. It's like flashbackception, and all three points of continuity are done by a different artist. I am enjoying how it's progressing from a story perspective. I'm actually starting to like Ghostmaker more, but I'm also completely out, almost, on Clown Killer. This needs to get fixed quickly, or he needs to leave the spotlight of this book. Next up, we have the super-anticipated Batman Catwoman number 1. I gave this a 4 out of 5. I anticipated this book a ton, and, well, we'll get there. First off, the title reunites Tom King and Clay Mann, and this book is friggin' beautiful. The book largely centers on Selina Kyle and multiple points in her life. The overarching mystery of this issue is what happened to the 14-year-old son of Andrea Beaumont. There's a lot of seduction here between Selena and Bruce, which makes sense, but she clearly distracts him. In the future, Selena goes to visit an old friend to share the news of Bruce's passing. There's also a good deal of interaction between Catwoman and the Joker, and it seems like this kid's dad might actually be the Joker. 
That could be the reason we find him dead, seemingly murdered by Joker Toxin. In the future, it seems like Selena is going to murder this old friend for the, this kid's death when that friend turns out to be none other than the Joker. Additionally, in present day, Andrea Beaumont digs up the Mask of the Phantasm and the costume, presumably to seek justice. She digs it up from a cemetery, which is kind of fucking weird. I like the levels of this over the other Tom King book, Rorschach. He's been building to this, and it seems like it's building off of his work and the Three Joker story, which recently uh, wrapped up. We talked about that in a previous episode of The Stack, as, as I call it to myself and nobody else. Again, I can't fawn over this art any harder if I tried to. It's beautiful. I'm really excited for this next issue. Next up, we have Deceased Dead Planet number 6. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Finding a cure to the unlife is at the center of this issue, and it's now become a race against the clock. Uh, Vic's blood is the cure and has been recoded, but the villains are in Australia preparing to end things with the undead by launching an army of Amazo androids. A cure is produced and tested on Barda, which does end up working, but it takes a moment. Zatanna confronts Constantine over what he's been up to, and it gets shadier and shadier as he dodges it. Kid Flash becomes a production expert in, in about 10 minutes and starts producing a cure to stop the Amazos from wiping out Earth's inhabitants. However, at this moment, Trigon emerges in Paris and wipes it all about out in about 15 minutes. However, at this moment, Trigon emerges in Paris and wipes it all out in about 15 minutes. Constantine, with help from the Phantom Stranger and Etragon, takes Dr. Fate's helmet and amulet and goes off to save the world. I love the look of this book so much. It's just disturbing and awesome. Admittedly, where this story is going is concerning me that when it's all over, I'll be crying in a heap on the floor. Again. Thanks, Tom Taylor. Next up, we have Endless Winter number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. The event that was teased has arrived, and there's a good deal more flash than I expected. A crystal is found from where the Fortress of Solitude used to be by scientists as the League is taking down Catman, Rampage, Icicle, and Multiplex as they attempt to settle down on Mathali Island. Mid-fight, Flash asks everyone about how they achieve any kind of work-family balance. Like It's like you can tell that they don't take these villains seriously like at all, but they're all really bad at it, right? So uh, the scientists continue digging where they shouldn't as the League wraps up. Things finally go wrong and the scientists get attacked by some kind of frost monsters. Flash leaves Black Lightning's house as he goes to rescue the scientists. They were getting together for Christmas, etc., etc. The rest of the league shows up and starts battling these ice golems and lets loose because they're not sentient. The Frost King climbs out of the crater created by the researchers and the league tries to go after him, but he blasts them all away. Superman thinks that he may have absorbed Kristonian crystals, powering him up as winter has now been unleashed on the entire world. Black Adam emerges, thinking about this happening again, and the issue ends with him starting a flashback. I like the pacing of this issue and the approach of keeping Flash the focus, but the team is as important. I'm excited for a possible Justice League tight narrative. I recognized Howard Porter's style from The Flash, and at times I like it on this book, but at other times I'm not in love with it. Like, really long heads and necks. His jagged style works with some of the characters, like Batman and Frost King, especially there's a panel of Batman in the shadows and his badass. But other characters, not so much for me. It's still a very fun read, though. 
Next up here we have Strange Adventures number 7. I gave this a 4 out of 5. What a trippy ass ride this issue is, and it's exactly what I was hoping for. This book opens with a mid-air Wild West style duel between Adam and a peaked scout. In what seems to be the past, we can see that Adam Strange has been tortured for weeks on end. There's a lot of hallucination here, but it ends up with Adam threatening to kill his captor and those that he works for. And his captor says that, hey, that's the plan, bro. He does kill him at the end of the issue, by the way. Uh, meanwhile, it, now in the present, Adam is kind of all over the place. He murders a peak soldier in front of Batman, which Batman is incredibly unhappy about. He then basically admits to Alina that he murdered the guy from the bookstore, but he thought he was a peak soldier. He thinks the evidence shows that he truly is a peak soldier based on the current invasion of Earth. The thing I like the most about this issue is that it moves things forward. Mystery was uncovered, pieces are finally falling into place, and Adam might not be as sane as we thought. The art, as always, was breathtaking. The idea to split the art here between these two incredible artists is huge. If this continues this way, this series has turned a massive corner for me. Alright, next up we have Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Wonder Woman, number one, War of the Gods, number one. Uh, I give this a 4 out of 5. Why don't we discuss who the most powerful member of the League is? People often go Superman. This issue proves otherwise. Essentially, Hecate takes over Wonder Woman's body and begins a quest for global domination. She slaughters the gods on Olympus, unites the Themyscarans and the Ban Amygdal, and moves the White House single-handedly, like lifts it up with one hand, to Themyscira. When confronted by the League, she maims or kills many of them, and is only undone by the magicians of the DC Universe. Diana begs for death each time she breaks through just a little, but is denied each time. She's eventually thrown into a dungeon where she's now just laying in wait. I really like this issue. Watching Hecate use Wonder Woman's full power to catch and kill the Flash, cripple Batman, and outright murder Superman Kano style, and a multitude of others is awesome to see. I love how dark this got, and how quickly it got dark, and how much I enjoyed this particular dark turn. It looks pretty good as well, especially with all of the turns. A possessed Diana is terrifying to look out on purpose. The scene of Hecate holding Superman's heart will stick with me for a very long time. Alright, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into these Marvel books. Stay right there. Hey everybody, Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Capes T Public page. Check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. All right, we're back with the Marvel books. We're going to jump straight in to Champions Outlawed number three, which got a three out of five. There are three plot points here that are being tracked in this particular story the Cradle Detention Center, Viv Vision, and the Core Champions. 
So in the detention center, Bombshell is forced to apologize on camera in a way that seems like something is definitely up. Meanwhile, Locust, Starling, Snowguard, and the Wasp start a mini riot in the cafeteria, and Bombshell pleads with Cradle not to take her friends away because she knows what they do, obviously. When they do, she's basically in a fetal position on the floor, saying how they won't survive. Viv Vision meets an older woman named Cora in Middle America who takes her in. She tells Viv that mistakes are part of being human, which seems to resonate with Viv a little bit. Finally, Miles, Riri, Kamala, and Sam are on the run from Cradle, and it's just not going well. They made it to a treehouse to grab a little rest. After Kamala wakes Sam after a nightmare, they have a talk about the running, and that gets interrupted by Cradle. As they get up and try to fight their way out, a blast interrupts the battle coming from the sky, and Cyclops intervenes, granting them Krakoan Asylum. I wasn't crazy about this until the end. It adds a whole new wrinkle to using the sovereignty of Krakoa, especially since Cyclops was a champion. I think this could get interesting really quick. Next up, we have Daredevil number 25. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. It's part one of a new story arc that promises to be a doozy. Daredevil is behind bars, paying the price for killing a man. Still masked. They they apparently have laws about against unmasking. Electra breaks into the prison to share vital information with Matt about the hand and also talk about darkness and light. Stick and Electra found a book that would help them stop the hand once and for all, but it will require a king and a queen. And upon hearing that, Matt goes back into his cell and basically says, I'm out. Before going to bed, Matt tells Electra that if she's tired of this darkness and wants to work for the light, that she needs to prove it. On the way out, she almost kills an inmate for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time but eventually decides to leave and be. Back on the street, she helps an old lady that Matt helped a while back by giving her a multi-thousand dollar necklace. Soon after, Electra takes off the mantle of Daredevil so that Matt can believe that she's an agent of the light. It seems that the most important part Matt didn't get to hear. A king and queen are necessary, but only one can survive. This book is so good, start to finish in every aspect. The art is incredible. Electra's hair basically has its own full-on character, which is awesome. I love the idea that Elektra as Daredevil in that costume is incredible, especially the full-page reveal. It's part Daredevil, part Elektra, part Ninja, all awesome. Next up, we have Fantastic Four, Road Trip number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This book was, in fact, a trip. Sorry, I couldn't resist. The basic idea here is that the Fantastic Four is taking a family trip, but it's a disguise for Reed to check out a meteor crater. Reed gets stuff back to his vacation home lab, which is different than his regular home lab, and checks it out while the whole family sleeps. He finally goes to bed, and it seems to go through the vents as it kind of disintegrates, I suppose is the right word. Anyway, the family goes on their separate adventures, but weird things start happening. Bed's rocks start to peel off. Franklin is somehow in every part of the house simultaneously. Sue's eyelids completely disappear. Valeria starts to lose her intellect. Reed starts losing control of his body. And Johnny has no control of his flames. Turns out this is a setup by the Mad Thinker, who tries to blow them up. They track the missile after reclaiming their bodies and take him straight into custody. Reed apologizes for ruining the vacation, which he did, and everyone dunks on him because he absolutely ruined it. It's absolutely right that they did that. Then uh, he floats the idea of, of stopping again, 
which they all start ripping him for. I do love this book. The overall villain part was underdeveloped to me, but there was only so much to go around, and it rightly focused on the disturbing horror movie level visuals. Watching how their bodies consumed them and their powers took them over will stick in my mind for a long time. Fun read. All right, so we have Hellions number seven next. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Here's our first look at a post X of Swords title. Sinister goes to the Quiet Council to demand his team's resurrection, even though it's already technically happening. And Xavier is making choices that may affect the team going forward. Havoc goes to Emma Frost, and she effectively tells him it's safer if he stays with the Hellions. The team gathers and has questions around how they all died and start to corner Sinister, but Psylocke steps in and makes the team back off. She makes the team prep for their mission and demands to see her daughter, which Sinister obliges. They go on a mission to get Nanny's ship so they can make her armor, and Psylocke crashes Sinister's ship into the facility that they're going to, much to Sinister's dismay. After they step out of the escape pod, they're greeted by automated security, and after they rip that apart real quick, Cameron Hodge. The book invites so many questions. How long has Sinister been looking for Psylocke's daughter's DNA? Will any of them remember that Sinister actually murdered them? The art in this book is good, but really stands out in specific facial work, like Psylocke getting more and more upset with Havoc on the jet that Sinister gives them. Next here we have King of Black number one. I gave this a five out of five. Admittedly, I haven't been keeping up with Venom, as anybody who listens to this show knows. This, however, is the way to open up an event. The Avengers, along with Eddie Brock, are preparing for Null's invasion, and they've taken several serious measures to beat him back. Tony has turned the leftovers from the Kree Skrull Armada in orbit into a minefield, while Eddie takes his son Dylan to a vault that Peter told him about that was made by Ezekiel from like 15, 20 years ago. Like it's been a long time since Ezekiel's been a thing. Null's forces make it past the minefield, so they enact Plan B, which has stages. First is to evacuate as much as possible. Second is to knock down the dragons. Yes, they're dragons. And third is to use a spire from Carnage's invasion to attempt to control the Horde. None of it works. Null arrives in an army of symbiote-controlled Celestials. The Avengers call down the Sentry, who promptly kills a Celestial, grabs Null, and starts to fly away. In response... Null rips the sentry in half like he did to Carnage years ago and then just absorbs the void, Bob's disturbed alter ego. Null overtakes the Avengers and then wraps the world in blackness, blocking out the sun. Eddie goes to Null to give himself up to save the world, but Null says he's not the Brock that he wanted. Null strips Eddie of the symbiote and then drops him off the Empire State Building. This book is nuts from start to finish. There are moves that are made that make you think, oh, there's no way this can be countered, and then Null shuts it all down. The story is great, but let's be serious, the art is definitely where it's at. The art is what pushed this to the rare 5 out of 5. Stegman kills it, invoking shades of McFarlane, but also giving his own style to the book. Excellence at its core, and I'm hoping the rest of the event lives up to this open. Next, we have Modoc Head Games number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This was a fun book penned partially by Pat Oswalt, who's getting into comic writing, it looks like. It opens with Modoc having a daydream mid heist and implies that something is wrong with his mind slash computer. AIM starts to see him as a liability, so they try to take him down, but inadvertently send him to the armory. Remember, he's made only for killing. 
He comes back and takes down a ton of AIM foot soldiers, but Monica Rappuccini gets Hulk serum and fights Modok with a giant Hulk arm. He gets distracted by the family he keeps seeing in his daydreams and gets knocked down. But he gets up again. They're never going to keep him down. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, And in just enough time to get out of AIM HQ and then go find Tony Stark for help. The art in this book can be jarring at times, but the brilliance of this book is its writing. It's funny, and the hook is interesting right off the bat. I'm excited to read more of this going forward. Next up, we have Savage Avengers, number 15. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This book is a violent cartel movie-flavored, cult-inspired romp. This part of the team is going hard after Kulin Gaff's forces and his drug ring. Natasha, Hellstrom, and Elektra stop them from poisoning cocaine and then take down the men holding women as captives. Meanwhile, Punisher and Wolverine are laying a waste to the acolytes outside. Back downstairs, the Master makes himself known and this fight does not go well for him, even though he seemingly starts with the upper hand. He gets pinned to a wall, shot to pieces, stabbed through a wall by Wolverine. Yes, he's still alive at this point. Then he gets put through a wood chipper, and the bits that are left are burned with hellfire. I told you, this is violent. But we do get Logan dressed like a Scarface knockoff towards the end of the issue, so that's cool. I like that this is an action-focused book now, because that's where this artist, Patch Zercher, Zerker, I think, really shines. You'd love to see it. Next up, we have Thor number 10. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Donny Cates sure does love writing stuff with tons of action and dark character moments. This issue starts with Donald Blake laying waste to all of the main supporting cast of Gods of Asgard and Beta Ray Bill and banishing them far away from the Golden Realm. Meanwhile, Blake gives himself a little shave and a haircut, two bits, and takes a stroll through the vacant Asgard to the Rainbow Bridge and goes to see some friends. Meanwhile, in the place that Donald Blake was, Thor comes across Jormungand, the Midgard Serpent, who is mortally wounded. He attempted to team him up with Donald Blake and awakened him, which set him free, but also drove him mad. Donald Blake took his power, slit his throat, and took his hide as armor. As Jormungand dies, Donald Blake greets Gene Foster in a hospital. This book is beautiful to look at. I don't know how to describe the art style properly. But it's amazing, and it's got a lot of darkness to it. I love how the story is developing with all these twists and turns. Okay, finally here we have X-Factor. Number 5, I gave this a 3 out of 5. The X-Factor team continues to look into its lost and dead mutants in this post-Exosword story. The five are currently trying to find out what went wrong with Rockslide's resurrection and whether or not they can actually do anything about his mind, which they discover is like a one-week-old's mind. Wind Dancer gets resurrected and the whole team goes to celebrate, as is the custom when one of their own is brought back. There's a moment between Aurora and Dakin before she and North Star go to the flight deck and put on a Northern Light style show, and everyone takes in a moment to take in the beauty. A scream is heard, and North Star and Aurora find Siren at the bottom of a cliff, dead like she fell, but we know she can fly. It seems like there is a murderer on the island that they're going to need to find. It also seems like they're going to have to confront Mojo, who's been keeping X-Men, just to kill them later, which I'm sure they're not too pleased about. I like how this book, like all the other X-Books, has its own look to it. I think the biggest standout is how the eyes have their own specific look. Fun read, but this is almost a reset point rather than a heavy contributor, but still a fun read. Alright, that is all the time we have for this week. If you want to be on the show, make sure you hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. 
looking ahead to next week, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, from DC, the last stories of DC Universe number one, and then Tales from the Dark Multiverse Flashpoint. From the Marvel side, Amazing Spider-Man number 54 and Guardians of the Galaxy number 9, as well as Marauders number 16. We are on YouTube now, so make sure you go to youtube.com slash twistedcape and make sure you subscribe. Smash that subscribe button, baby. Smash it! We have some new merch on TeePublic, so check the link in the show notes and get your hands on some of this sweet, sweet gear. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, possibly on OnlyFans. You don't know that yet. Make sure you tune in weekly on Thursday to The Twisted Cape's live show on YouTube as well as on thetwistedcape.com and live in the comments. We go over them during and at the end of each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us some feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, shoddy make that ass clap. She don't need no applause. Stay safe, wear a mask, stay twisted. Fix that.